Welcome to the Women in Sport podcast. We're really excited to launch this off the back of an amazing summer of sport. But firstly, we want to tell you a little bit about what this podcast is all about. So I have Heather Smith with me. Heather is the Associate Head of Innovation at Women in Sport. And Heather's going to tell us a little bit about the research and advice service and the podcast itself. So Heather, what is Women in Sport's research and advice service? So women in sport have always had a library of kind of research and insight that anyone can come and use and access. But what we want to do more of now as an organisation is be a, be a bit more proactive in sharing all the, the knowledge, insight, experience that, that we have. So we have revamped the whole of the research um, library that we have. And we're also putting in place a number of um, proactive ways of engaging with organisations um, and individuals from time to time as well and the podcast is definitely one of those things so part of the inspiration for the podcast was that we get a number of inquiries um, both from organizations and individuals and sometimes we have the research and we can signpost them to um, the information that's on the website but sometimes we're either working on something or we're looking at doing something a bit further down the line and we don't quite have all of the um, all of the the answers so we thought a podcast would be a great way to have some conversations about some of those issues um, discuss them with experts or people that are working with those things kind of live and in the moment and then um, yeah record that so anyone can access it download it um, and have a listen and the first episode is a focus on girls football and we do get a lot of inquiries from parents and teachers and even individual girls who maybe can't get access to football or are having an issue around playing football or having support for it. Um, in the podcast, we're going to hear from Louise Gear, who works from the FA, who's going to talk about how they're going to implement their school's programme, and also Sophie from Project 51, who's trying to make a real change in her school. But how do you think the, the legacy of the World Cup and England and Scotland being involved and England going to the semi-finals, how do you think that can affect... Uh, activity for girls and girls football so the world cup has been amazing it's been brilliant and it's been really accessible for everyone to kind of watch and see and what's really important is the way that it's been presented is the same as you would see any men's world cup so what that's doing for women's sport and for football in particular is really making it credible and making it normal for women to take part in in football in the same way that you would see men kind of at that level What's really important now, though, is that we don't go, gosh, wasn't that a great World Cup, and just let it drop off. So there's a couple of things around making sure that we're maintaining things like media coverage and commercial investment um, for domestic competitions, so making sure that that, that interest doesn't drop. Um, but also making sure that women and girls that have been inspired by this moment have opportunities, and there's some great stuff that the FA and other projects that are doing that all, all kind of help that. Um, but clubs need to be ready, schools need to be keen and, um, and ready to get their girls playing football. So why is it so important that we make sure that we get women and girls active? So currently in, um, in the UK there is a big uh, participation gap between the amount of exercise um, and activity that men and women and girls and boys are doing. So for teenage girls it's around 10% um, of teenage girls are reaching recommended activity levels um, and those activity levels are an hour a day, half an hour in school, half an hour out of school. So just one in 10 girls reaching those is a really worrying statistic from, from our point of view. 
Um, and actually what we're seeing is that that trend then for girls, while they're going through that really difficult teenage, um, teenage period of time where there's lots of different things going on, they're forming new identities, they're making new friends, they're kind of working out their place in the world. If they haven't got those good healthy exercise habits embedded at that point, then it's much harder to um, re-engage them as they move into their later life. And we know that as women get older, we start to see um, things like uh, fear of judgment when it comes to taking part in sport and exercise. So they worry about um, not having the right clothes to wear or not knowing the rules or not knowing how to use equipment if, it, if it's a gym setting. Um, so they've got all of these barriers building up and they don't have any positive frame of reference from their kind of teenage years. So we really want to intervene at a, a younger age and tackle that um, both in kind of primary age girls but also really importantly in, in teenage, teenage girls where we know that there's that really sharp decrease in participation. Now we're going to hear from Sophie Corbett. Sophie is a young influencer on one of our projects that we work on with Sported called Project 51. Sophie's been working hard to try and get football on the agenda at her school. Well, I started playing football when I was like four or five. I was really young, um, but I was too nervous to join a team. Like I didn't really want to kind of actually go out and do it because I, I didn't really know anyone that was playing, so I was a bit nervous to join. But um one of the guys who runs the local football team was over fixing something in the house and just kind of said like do you want to come along one night so I just went um and that's when I was about seven or something so ever since then I've been playing for until now really so that team I played for for about four or five years and it was really good and I was captain of the team for a while but then once it got to under 15, so everyone's about 13, 14, there wasn't enough players, like not enough girls wanted to be involved in football anymore, so they all dropped out. So we only had, I think, five or six girls, which isn't enough for a team. So like that age group folded, so I had to find another team. Um, but now I play for another local team called Co-Winning. Um, and it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I've been there for about a year now. But it's just unfortunate because I think I'm going to be in the same situation next year. How I won't have a team because there's not enough people at my age to play. Like for that specific age group. So I think I might be in the same position. But hopefully I can sort something. Um, but it's quite unfortunate because a lot of people do drop out. And have you ever played mixed football or has it always just been girls only? Um, it's always just being good. It was like even in school, we're not allowed to play at all. At your school, they don't offer a girls' football team. Um, they did have a girls' football team for a small. It wasn't for very long because not enough people were going. And even in our PE lessons, we're not allowed to play. So like we'll go up and there'll be like enough uh, enough girls for a full team, and we're not allowed to play. Like if we want to play against the boys, like we're not allowed. Absolutely no way. Um, even if we want to play like on our own, we're not, we're just not allowed to play football. Like we're allowed to do other sports, but just not football. So it's really frustrating, especially for me because I do love playing football, but we're just not given the chance. And why is that? Is it just the teachers can't fit it in the schedule, or is there a particular reason when you've asked? Um, well, when we ask, they tell us like we're not strong enough, like we're not we're not good enough to beat the boys and if we play like they're not going to actually put us on because we'll just get beaten up by the boys and they'll just like run all over us basically that's that's what they tell us when we go up but 
I think if they ever gave us a chance to play, it would be a different story. And have you guys like have have you guys tried to challenge it at all and say no, we want to do it? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter how many people you have, how many, like, how much you say or stay like arguing against them. Like we're still not allowed to play. And um, so I must feel I've decided to like carry out a survey to see if girls and boys have different experiences in sport and how they think it could be better. And I'm going to present that to PE to see what can be done to see if girls are allowed to play football, like from now on. But that I'll carry that out after the summer. And are you hoping that this, if you show the survey to the PE department, it might change their mind? I hope so. I think if they see how many people actually want to play football and how many people are affected by what they do, then I think it might change something. And was is the survey, is that something that you were kind of inspired to do by Project 51 or you were just wanted to kind of do it anyway? Uh, no, it was from Project 51 because they've carried out similar surveys in other schools so I thought I could do one like of my own to see like how the boys and girls opinions of sport are different just in my school so yeah I got the idea from them. And if you can't if you don't have a team next season and you can't play at school what are the other ways that you're going to try and stay involved in football? Um, well I think that I think what I'm going to do is so we have like different age groups but there's not going to be um, kind of under 17s so I think I'm going to just train with the team and not play games because because it's like under 15s, but I'll be over 15 by then, so I won't be able to play. Um, so I'm just going to like train with them. And obviously I'll still keep up my coaching, so that's like a different side to it. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the plan. And did you watch any of the Scotland games in the World Cup? Um, well, I actually went with my football team to one of the games before. It wasn't the actual World Cup, but it was like the first game before they left. So we went to see that to kind of send them off. And I think it was it was a record number of how many people were there. Like there was it was really, really busy. Um so that was like a really good turnout. And I've watched some of the games, but I was on holiday with the school for most of the time when like Scotland were in. So I didn't get to see much of that. But I've enjoyed the games that I've watched. It was just unfortunate in the last one because they were they were running by so much like and they just it was just frustrating to watch. Do you know who Erin Cuthbert is? Because she actually played for my team co-winning. Um, so she's like been in, like she's came back to the club to see everyone. And in the town that I live, there's like a big um, kind of, there's a big paint in the fire, like up on the walls. So I think she's probably my favourite player. Now we're going to hear from Louise Gear. Louise is in charge of leading the programme for the FA in terms of girls' participation. And she's going to talk to us about the big investment the Barclays have made in girls football and grassroots football and how it's actually going to be implemented across England and in schools. So what has the FA been doing to prepare for the kind of expectation of England to do well and, and this new kind of buzz and excitement about girls football? I mean obviously you know about our game plan for growth. We've got three really um, ambitious goals. Um, we launched that back in 2017 and that will run till 2020. So one of them was to ensure we have consistent success on the international stage and I think our, well, our, our Lionesses are absolutely doing that. Um, we, the other um, big goal was to double the fan base. 
um, and change perceptions of the game um, so it becomes more attractive to a different um, group of women and girls and we only have to look at the broadcasting um, stats um, for all of the and the growth of the bro- of, of the viewings um, game by game to, to see that perceptions have changed and the brand of women's footballs in England is really powerful. I think it's 11.7 million viewers, most watched program in uh, in England this this year. So we were massively um, excited about that and what's to come. But doubling participation. Um, and growing the game from grassroots was another critical goal for us, and we're well on track to achieving that. Um, but I guess the, the big thing for us has been what, what's going to change the game for good, and what we can do is celebrate the massive spike that we've had in terms of numbers of teams um, because of the demand from girls and women to play. And we've seen... Um, our baseline was around 6,000 affiliated teams back in um, when, when the game plan for growth strategy was launched. And we're now at 11,088 teams. So we, we really have seen that spike in growth in terms of, of, of teams and affiliated teams. But as I said, for us, you know, the, the critical question has been what's going to change the game for good? And we could say, well, we want to be the number one sport of choice for girls and women in this country um, but we still have to think about what's going to be the big game changer for us and what critical things do we need to change that we've never done before to make sure that this change is sustainable i.e. we don't have to come back and, and, and have another look and uh, and try different tactics again so so to do that we, we, we're working on a formula and you, the Barclays investment is, is part of that but um, we're looking at building places for girls and women to play football so working with sustainable organizations that can help us provide the delivery network of football opportunities for women and girls so that's the first thing second thing is around programs so places have just spoken about programs creating what we call at the FA real modernized fit for purpose programs that meet the needs and motivations of, of girls and women. And I'll come on to that in a second, if, it's, if that's okay. So programmes, but we know programmes alone aren't going to create this change that's sustainable. Um, we, need to, we need to really think about the, the places where girls and women are playing. Um, and then the people, so the workforce, the volunteers. We know that there is a significant amount of upskilling um, and support that we need. We need to offer the workforce, the current workforce that's involved in the game. We need to future-proof our um, our workforce, and that's coaches, referees. Um, do we need to look at a different kind of coaching qualification for you know young women that are coming into the game um, for the first time? But building that workforce and driving volunteers into the girls and women's grassroots game grassroots game is really essential for us. And in terms of the big kind of pledge that, that yourselves and Barkers have made about having that opportunity by 2024 for every girl in England to be able to play, how does that kind of logistically and operationally, how, how, could, how do you actually go about providing that opportunity? It, it's a big ambition because it's about culture. And what we, what we will do over the next few years is work really hard to, to change the culture um, in, in our schools. 
and ask those critical questions. Well, why why do not why do girls not have access to to this sport? Um, so the we we've built um, or recruited sorry a a network of FA girls football school partnerships supported by Barclays and and, and of course the Barclays investment. Um, and what that is 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 a nationwide scheme that aims to mainstream football in schools for girls. So it, it, it's 100 school hubs, and each of those 100 hubs has a dedicated ed- education expert that oversees um, the delivery of all girls' football programmes across the family of schools that they are a hub for. So the combined total of schools that these 100 hubs reach is just over 6,000. So that's that's 25% of the schools in the country. Um, now those 100 school hubs have been selected on their knowledge of education and of football, but education first and foremost. So they understand the national curriculum. They understand, um, you know, the challenges that schools face in terms of what they offer their um, their students. Um, so over the next three years, the Barclays um, support and investment will give girls the best chance to experience football in PE. And we often get asked the question: um, Is you know, is an after-school club not enough, or is a lunchtime club not not enough? Is 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 that is that you know access? Is that equal access? Well, um, what I'd say there is no. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that it is because it's optional, and it's normally um, or largely dependent on staff resources and time. So if you've got a really keen um, member of staff that is happy to take the session after school, if that member of staff leaves, the football club for girls is at risk because it, 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 it's an optional, um, uh, an optional choice for a school to put on their own. Their after-school program, and how how do you secure you secure that buy-in? So if you're kind of you're removing the element which is you've got to have one keen PE teacher who's willing to kind of grow that team or, or grow girls' football. How do you ensure much more of a buy-in to say this is a really good option and you guys need to do it? it I mean, previously before I came to the FA, I worked for for a fantastic charity called the Youth Sport Trust that. Um, you know, really showcase the power of sport um, in in an education context, i.e., um, focus less on the participation element of sport, but more on the skills and the learning um, that sport provides young people. So, to answer your question, what we would, what we've started to do, and and I'll tell you about one of our programs, which is a secondary school PE program called Game of Our Own. And it's wholly focused on life skills, but we use football to teach it. So the teacher training programme that we deliver in partnership with the Youth Sport Trust for schools focuses on how can you teach resilience in four or five weeks? How can you teach young girls how to be more resilient when they're under pressure um, and they've got to think really quickly on their feet and keep bouncing back? Um, How do you teach creative thinking? And how can you help girls develop a solutions mindset? So these are all key skills that our Game of Our Own programme draws out and overtly teaches the young girls. 
So it's not girls, you're coming into PE today and we're going to teach you, um, I don't know, two on one um, football skill or, 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 or whatever. We're teaching you solution, uh, how, to, how to develop a solution mindset today. And what we'd actually do is we're going to put a football challenge on the pitch for you and you're going to work through that. When you come off, let's analyse that and let's look at how did you how did you solve that issue that you had on the football field with that with that challenge that we set for you. What did you so that so that's that is us positioning our sport differently and that's us um, as a governing body showcasing the very best that our sport can offer in, in a learning context so that girls that take part in our game of our own programme at the end of the block of curriculum they will be more independent, they'll be more resilient, they will be confident and they will know that they can actually solve problems and have a really you know, strong solutions mindset if they are put to the test. And that, that's what school leaders and heads of PE in schools want to hear, they want, they want to be able to celebrate the, that, that, the power of, of a sport in that way. And we obviously talked about how the demand is now really high because we've got a, a successful team and, and, and winning does kind of breed that interest. Um, we do get correspondence through our research and advice email from parents who say, oh, my daughter's really keen or she, she can't do it at school or you know, she's not allowed to play in a mixed team anymore because they won't take her or there's not enough girls to make up a team. How do we combat that issue going forward? It, it's a good it's a good question and my answer would be we are actually as we're speaking so I spoke to you about spike in team growth um, so we've gone from 6,000 teams to over 11,000 teams in the last two years target for us in that sort of competition pathway is 12,000 teams and, and we'll hit that we know we'll hit that but it's really really important that we develop a, a culture in our clubs that is fully inclusive and we need to ensure that our clubs are ready to embrace female teams, girls only teams. Um, so we've just literally finished a pilot, which is female friendly clubs. It's a toolkit, it's online, it's face-to-face -face training where we help clubs sort of realize the environment that they have to create to, um, to welcome girls teams and, and, and female teams into their into their clubs not to say that they're not doing that and I'm, I'm sure the large majority are but to so that's so that's so that's one thing we're doing um, in terms of the for fun and fitness offer that pathway as I mentioned we've got 1300 locations now organizations that are offering that wildcats program um, for 5 to 11 year olds our next steps will be to develop a similar offer for teenagers so as quickly as, as we're, we're putting these, these sort of um, fit for purpose modern programmes on the ground these girls are, uh, are, are getting older so we need to make sure there's an equivalent teenage offer there so we have got the team growth we're on that upward um, curve so to speak ensuring that our clubs are fully inclusive females and they get the environment right is critical for us and we know that the other um, pilot that we and it's a very very small pilot that we're testing at the moment is how it is, 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 is with a, a, another organization that's more volunteer pay based 
but how can we drive more female volunteers or any volunteers into the female grassroots game? Because like any sport, you know, the success of our of our, of our game it is is largely focused uh, is largely down to to volunteers, and we we really need to help mums, aunties, cousins. <laughs> You know, women that wouldn't ordinarily offer to do anything rather than the bog standard sort of drop-offs to, to football matches. We really need to encourage them to play an active part in the local club. So that would be one plea from me, is if you haven't thought about volunteering or getting involved in your local grassroots clubs. Um, girls having female role models or visible females in that club environment is, is critical. Um, for, for, for the growth of the game so it isn't just to have women coming in and getting them to take on volunteering roles because the club needs that support I think it's really important that young girls see more females in the club environment um, and you know all we want to do at the FA is we talk about it a lot is normalise football when I talk about mainstreaming football for girls in schools that's that's normalising football within the school system so that every girl gets the opportunity to play and it's exactly the same in clubs as well, grassroots clubs. Sophie was inspired by Erin Cuthbert and she got to watch her on a global stage on primetime television and we hope this momentum continues. We want to see girls participating in football and having access to football whenever they want to play it, wherever they want to play it. We would love to hear from you about the issues that are affecting you. Please get in touch with support at womeninsport.org and tell us about things you want to discuss on the podcast. You can also check out all our resources which are available for free in the research and advice section on our website.